Welcome to the Brian Piergrossi Podcast, the podcast community for living your best life and creating a more beautiful world. Each episode, we inquire into the frontiers of inner peace, love, freedom, creativity, and empowerment with authors, artists, musicians, healers, spiritual teachers, yogis, activists, revolutionaries, entrepreneurs, comedians, scientists, psychologists, poets, mystics, and you. These conversations are unedited and always 100% authentic to how they happened. I'm your host, personal coach and author Brian Piergrossi. I've worked for over 13 years with thousands of people around the world to break through unconscious limiting belief systems and bring healing, transformation, and inspired manifestation to those who are ready and interested. For online personal sessions with me or in-person sessions with me in the magic of the Blue Ridge Mountains of Asheville, North Carolina, contact me at thebigglow.com. The sponsor of this podcast is you. If you appreciate our community, become a patron supporter at patreon.com slash thebigglow. Welcome everybody to the Brian Piergrossi podcast. That's me, Brian Piergrossi. I'm with Sardine, Sardine. Sardine. I'm with, I'm with, we were trying to work on our last name, so I was trying to really get it right. And like, anyway, Serene Ardelianu, yeah? Serene Yes, Ardelianu. and it's Welcome, funny Serene. when you mispronounced my name, I thought of Italy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Do not call her Sardine like I did. Call her Serene. Serene Ardelianu. <laughs> yeah, so good to have you here. Thank and you. Serene is our first presidential candidate on the podcast. Very exciting, running for president of the United States of America. So, um, so I first became aware of you recently. I actually just had uh, Satyan Raja on my podcast. Then I saw he had you. He interviewed you. So I tuned into that to that um, interview that you did with him, and was just. And then I t- was tuning in some other things that you were doing too, and just really impressed. Really impressed with um, what you were sharing. Um, but what became like apparent to me and where I kind of want to start is, so you, you've had a spiritual awakening. That's what became apparent to me in, 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 uh, just, you know, I picked it up pretty quickly the, where you were coming from and, and where you were speaking from. So I'd love to, I mean, first of all, does that resonate as true for you? And I'd love to hear if so, like if you could speak to that and, and kind of what your journey was like in that regard. Sure. It's, it's interesting because I've struggled with what to call it, you know, because there are, you know, people define awakening, enlightenment, illumination, you know, sometimes the same way, sometimes differently. Um, but I do believe that I have had a major shift in my consciousness and evolution, which has significantly, you know, altered everything that I do in life from the way that I think to the way that I speak to the way that I behave, where my life really isn't about me anymore. 
it's about everyone, all the pieces of me, because I do believe that we are one. You know, that is not something I only have faith in, but that is a belief that I have. And I know that that is something that, you know, many people only have faith in and not belief, which is different. And because of my experiences, to me, it is a fact. And I also recognize that for others, for it to become a belief, they have to also go through their own awakening, their own enlightenment, illumination, whatever they want to call it, to have this realization, you know, that for others, this may just be a theory. And so um, I'm very sensitive about how I speak about it because I believe we're all on the same journey and we're all in different places and that there really isn't a comparison that somebody could come to this realization in an instant and somebody could come to it in an entire lifetime. And there isn't a right or wrong amount of time. And so, you know, I share that because I feel um, one of the things I've noticed, not just since starting, you know, this campaign for president, um, but in general before then, there's a lot of people that don't seem to really understand spirituality. And uh, they will judge people who I do believe are awake and um, and say that they're spiritually bypassing or something like that. You know, it's like a very trendy word to cut people down. And so it's a, I try not to really emphasize that because I feel that our actions really speak a lot louder than anything else. And so I really, you know, that's why it matters what I do because I know that really that's the only way that I can influence others and show people who I am. It's not by saying, you know, I'm a spiritual person or spiritual being, you know, it's by acting as one consistently because it is what resonates with me the most. Mm. Did you have some particular experience or some particular experiences or challenges? I find for most people, it's some sort of challenge or difficulty that is the catalyst for them to, to wake up. And when I say wake awakening, I mean, I think you said it to me, the awakening is an awakening to our oneness, uh, to that separation or division is ultimately not real. And that, everything that we see is a reflection of the one, the one and only uh, infinite self. Right. And so, um, yeah. So what, what, what was there, was there a particular turning point or turning points for you that opened you up to that awareness? Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I had to hit bottom a few times <laughs> and it was very painful and it was very dark and lonely and it was not a pleasant place to be but it made me realize that I had a pattern that was self-destructive and that it wasn't very loving and that I could change the pattern, that I could have a loving pattern. And, you know, when I think of self-love, I don't just think of the little self, I think of the big self. And so, you know, that was a big shift for me, recognizing that, you know, I had to learn how to love myself in order to be able to love others and in order to help others love me and also love themselves because, you know, we're all mirrors of each other. And, you know, the really cool thing about being human is that we don't have to keep repeating these dysfunctional patterns. We can choose to stop them and we can choose to live differently. And so, um, it, I'm not one of those people where I had an illumination and just instantly everything changed. It took time because, you know, this happened in my early thirties and, you know, even if you know better, 
you still have these patterns that you've been carrying around with you your entire life. And it takes time to change them. And you have to kind of, you know, put your hand on that hot stove a few times before you learn like, hey, this hurts. I shouldn't do this anymore. And so for me, it was a series of events. But the most significant one was in my early 30s. And, you know, at that time, I, um, one of my best friends basically took me under his wings and introduced me, you know, what I like to um, put under the umbrella term of metaphysics, which included um, quantum mechanics, neuroscience, epigenetics, um, and, and psychology and theology and the like. And it's through studying all these different fields that I started to be more consistent in my practice and to develop my own belief where it went from faith to belief because I believe to take this path, it goes against most of our conditioning. This isn't what we're taught. This isn't what society teaches us. This isn't what the media teaches us. And so when you go out into the world, there's all this temptation to essentially, um, you know, behave very carnally, you know, not as your highest self, you know, because especially today, nobody really judges you if you don't believe in a higher power or God or oneness, you know, it, it's versus, you know, before our time, it was a big deal. <laughs> and so I feel like it's actually more effort to be connected and tuned into the oneness. So that's kind of a long answer to your question, but I feel that it's important to share those pieces of my journey because I feel that many people think that it's just something that instantly happens and you're instantly perfect. And that's just not how I think it works for most people. I think that for most people, it is an effort and it is a practice of, of love and discipline. Mm. And you're running for president. And where did that impulse come from? And <laughs> yeah, where did, that, where did that impulse come from? Well, I had you know, a very challenging childhood and I experienced a lot of pain and suffering. And I didn't want anybody else to go through what I went through, especially innocent children. And so um, I got into psychology in my undergraduate studies to understand what drives behavior. Um, you know, and I realized, this is about 20 years ago, that ultimately it's our values. And I thought that, you know, if, if I want to make a positive impact in the world, I'm going to have to be in a position where I can impact values. And I realized that the president of the United States of America is the perfect position to be in to influence values because I realized back then as well that our values come from the media. They come from whoever we deem our authority figures, our parents, our educators, our healthcare providers, and so forth. Um, and I was also noticing a lot of people around me pointing fingers at everybody else but themselves when it came to, you know, why is the world the way it is and, and being unhappy with it. Um, but I didn't take it too seriously back then. It was just a very tiny seed <laughs> and I didn't really talk about it. And then whenever I hit, you know, my, my bottom in my early thirties, when I had this realization that I was creating pain in my life and that I could change it and experience pleasure and contentment and fulfillment, um, Shortly after I realized, oh, I had a vision rather of people chanting Serene 2020 and it startled me and I felt very uncomfortable. 
because I have done many things that I do not regret, but that I would not do again. And that I know that many people get criticized for today. Um, but as this year got closer and closer, and I was resisting and hoping somebody else would step up, I started feeling um, physical and mental and spiritual disease in my body. And I had overcome um, with some people post-traumatic stress because of all the trauma I had experienced as a child. And so at that point I realized, you know, as I'm resisting, I'm like, you know, I know better. The body never lies. And I felt called to go into this direction. And what do I have to lose? What is the worst thing that can happen? And I realized that I had the power to inspire others, to help others that also have insights and love and understand life to step up. You know, and so to me, that really sounded like a victory. <laughs> so I just started surrendering and doors open and the campaign has grown very organically and all the pieces have come very clearly to me. And, um, and here we are today. <laughs> mm -hmm. What do you feel like are the values? You talked about values. What are the values that you want to bring forward and emanate more into the, the country? Sure. So I want to be very clear that I am not a religious person at all, but I do study theology, uh, not just the Bible, but I do find truth everywhere. And one of the values that really resonates with me that I want to emphasize is the golden rule. It's very simple, you know, treating others the way that we want to be treated. And I've thought about this for a long time, like, why is it very difficult for people to do this and back to me learning to master love which i believe that i'm still working on and i believe that's something that we all are supposed to be working on i realize that because we don't love ourselves how can we love others right so how can we practice the golden rule um, many people like i used to be are addicted to abuse or unhealthy relationships you know and in different levels of abuse it doesn't have to be physical it can be psychological it can be very subtle you know even passive aggressiveness and it's not necessarily what we want at a conscious level but because we've been programmed it's in our subconscious level and by programming i'm talking about again the media is one of the easiest way to program people and and again um our authority figures, our parents, even though they may want the best for us, if they don't have positive role models in their lives, how can they teach us the right thing? And so as a conscious adult, I know, and that's what I've been working on, is reprogramming myself so that I do exude love in everything that I do. And, you know, the golden rule is really, it's such a big thing because I think about, well, if we applied it not just in personal relationships, but in professional relationships, right? Like we would make different decisions in business, right? We would all do something that adds value. We would all, you know, be our most authentic self because if you love yourself, you wouldn't hide who you really are. You would develop your natural inclinations and gifts and share them with the world. And if we all lived in a world like that, I believe that we would all prosper and have peace. You know, and that's part of my bigger image is really, you know, living in a world where people are encouraged to be their most authentic self, where it's safe to do that and where people help each other out, not because out of fear of like going to hell or, 
or, you know, there's a law that will punish you, but because people actually believe it's the right thing to do and they understand how everyone, including themselves, benefits, you know, when they practice the golden rule. It's interesting when you, when you listen to politicians, presidents or politicians speak or, or business leaders, CEOs, um, et cetera, you rarely ever hear the word love. You rarely ever hear them talk about love, which is actually the most important thing of all, like anybody that's looked even slightly deeply into life knows like love is what makes life meaningful and fulfilling. And it's why we're here to learn how to express it. So to have a president that would speak to that and articulate that and, and communicate that consistently, um, I think that's really, that's really valuable and, uh, and, and, and beautiful. Brian, you've reminded me of something that's been on my mind that I'd like to share um, just about love and just you know, a lot of people, I feel like what's going on, the reason that we are in the state of being that we're in today is that a lot of people don't understand who they are, what they are capable of, or why they are here. And when you do understand that, which I do, there is no room for fear. There is no room for compromise. Right? We have people pushing different agendas. There isn't an agreement. And if we can get people to understand that everything is energy and there's just one life expressing itself in all forms and that there is a perpetual evolution of consciousness through form, I believe that that is when we will achieve that ideal state. And that's you know really what I'm working on. And I haven't mentioned it before because it hasn't come up in a conversation. So I'm glad that I get to share this with you. And if you want to talk about it, we can. It's just, I think that that's really what it comes down to is knowing who you are, what you're capable of and why you are here. That's, that's what I saw when I said like a spiritual awakening, that's what I meant that I saw in you. It's like, oh, she knows who she is and she knows why she's here. And that's like, wow, that's, it's kind of like was my prayer, you know, to have a, someone running for president that, that was coming from that consciousness. So I'm sure this is all divinely synchronized and organized that we're, that we're connecting right now. Um, it feels good. Um, so how much of this can be done? I guess I, I, I want to explore how much of this can be done through, it's, this is a big question, so kind of take it where you want to take it, but how much of this can be done through kind of like laws and punishment and rules and how much this is done through kind of the president sort of exuding a vibration or a, a consciousness that people can feel and and you know so i guess kind of moving into how how do we share this how do we share this on a political level like what is what is enlightened politics that was one of the things that was coming to my conscious this morning thinking about the podcast like what is enlightened politics like if it's coming from this consciousness how is it different than what we have now does that make sense yeah yeah well so i think it's a combination of legislation and vibration and by legislation, I'm not actually talking about creating legislation to enforce or try to enforce morality. I'm talking about looking at the legislation we currently have in place that limits people's ability to self-actualize. You know, because we have a lot of legislation that essentially interferes with the natural um, process of reaping what we sow. So people aren't understanding the correlation between cause and effect. And so 
um, there would be a lot of legislation that would either be removed or altered to not interfere in people's natural evolution of you know, their own consciousness. Um, like one of the things I have thought about specifically is, is subsidies and how many of the subsidies we have in place are, you know, were created for somebody to profit versus what's truly good for the environment, what's truly good for humanity and so forth. So that would be an area that I would address, you know, the way that animals get treated in agriculture, for example, a lot of that has to do with legislation. It's not because people are trying to do the right thing or, um, you know, what I don't have like factory, all... factory farming is that what you're talking about? Yeah. 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 Um, then, there, you know, like, I, I don't have all the answers, but I believe, for example, that the Native Americans were doing lots of things correctly when they took care of this country, um, you know, because I live in California, and in 2017, we started having these huge fires every year around this time of year, and I've lived in California since 1984, minus four years, you know, but most of my life. And we never had anything like this happen before. And my understanding is because we have people who are well-intentioned, but don't seem to really understand nature coming in and, and you know, limiting, um, like ha having a fire every year apparently is from my studies is, is a good thing. It helps prevent the bigger ones. You have controlled smaller ones. Again, I don't have all the answers. This is just what I've come up with from my studies, but I believe that we need to start really understanding like why did we put certain legislation into place you know who's really winning from this is this legislation that we uh, put into writing because of an emotional you know response or a logical one because a big part of my platform is logic sure. and to be logical right. we cannot be emotional it doesn't mean we don't care it means we care enough to reason correctly and to do the work, even though it might be more upfront in the long run, I believe that we all profit and prosper from, you know, taking the steeper path and by, you know, taking our emotions out of it. Um, and the other part of, you know, your question answer, and my answer is vibration, because everything is energy, having leaders that are genuinely trying their best to come from a place of love and logic with liberty for all in mind, will create a different atmosphere for everyone because we do put the spotlight on our leaders. I mean, so many people are just addicted to the news. And if we had leaders in all positions coming from a different position, like I mentioned, I believe that we would have a very positive shift very quickly. And so one of the things that I see that's happening that we're really lacking right now, which I, I mentioned to you in a message is the is vision, right? So it feels like people are very quick to kind of be against this. They're against that. They want to fight this. They want to fight that. People are very quick to complain, um, to resist, you know, resistance has become kind of like a cool thing, a trendy thing to resist. We got to resist. Um, but what's the vision you know what are we what are we creating where are we going towards like my sense of this which is really interesting is like because it seems like we're so divided and on, on a certain level we are really divided but if you really feel into like what we want it feels like it, most everybody wants the same thing you know so 
could you kind of speak to like what's the what's your vision for America? You know, where where what's the ultimate vision of where you'd like to see us go? Sure. So before I answer that, I want to go back to resistance really quickly. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people don't understand that what we resist actually persists. Yes, I understand right? it, but a lot of people don't. <laughs> right? Because whatever you are focusing on, you are empowering, whether it is good or bad. So the more you resist something, the more you fight something, the more you keep it alive. If you truly want to change things, you have to focus on something else. Usually it's opposite, right? So if you want to get rid of hate in the world, or at least you know, make it less, focus on love. Don't, you can't get rid of hate by being hateful yourself. Um, And a lot of people don't get it. You know, it's like, I I hear these groups that, you know, they're violent against people that are violent against certain people. And it's like, well, they're doing the exact same thing. Don't they understand? Like, this doesn't make it better. It's, you know, it's like, we're not living in the cave anymore where it's an eye for an eye. You know, we have evolved in consciousness and, And we really need to help bring everybody up to that because we are animals first, you know, before we are human. And so we do have the animal consciousness. Like I mentioned, there's a lot of temptation out there. And so it is an effort, but we can do it. We can move forward collectively, not just as individuals. Um, As far as vision goes, you mentioned, you know, that we all want the same thing. And I believe that that same thing is to feel loved real love and um i feel that because again because we've lacked role models in society and and not always intentionally we don't know how to get love in a healthy way and we don't know that we're supposed to love ourselves first you know it sounds very cliche but you really have to do it (laughs) you know you can't expect somebody else to love you if you don't love yourself it it won't ever fulfill you and so it's teaching people how to love themselves, which will help us get to um, my vision, which is we've been talking about it here and there, which is living in a more harmonious world where people are free to be their most authentic selves, where people voluntarily choose to help one another in the ways that they can. So um, something that I think is really important to understand is how I define love and generosity and forgiveness. They're all the same thing for me. They all fall under the category of love. But many people think that when you love somebody that it can come with expectations or conditions or, you know, when you forgive somebody or when you give to somebody that you're supposed to get something back in return from that person. And that's not loving or being generous or forgiving. That's being selfish. And so part of my vision is helping people understand that because everything is energy and energy is perpetually, um, I don't know what the right word is, desiring, but essentially desiring to maintain a state of equilibrium, right? If you give more than what you take, you're going to create an imbalance. And if you take more than you give, you're also gonna create an imbalance. And so we have to be comfortable with giving freely what we can afford to give, not necessarily financially, but energetically, and also receiving freely. Now for someone like me, that's actually been my challenge is learning to receive because I've always been, because I grew up in an abusive household, I learned to just give, 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 and have no boundaries. And I share because a lot of times people think that, you know, um, 
that an imbalance only happens whenever you take more than you give, but also giving more than what you take can destroy you. And so, you know, my vision is helping people understand how energy works, how to experience completeness, and how to um, practice non-attachment all while being, you know, authentic, because we all have, you know, kind of like um, a, an acorn seed, right? Within it, it has um, a program of what it's supposed to be, you know, an oak tree. Well, we all are, you know, start as seeds as well. And within us, we also have a program of what we can be. And if we are in the, in a nourishing environment, if we protect that seed, that image of what we're supposed to be, and we keep developing it, we will be that. And because I, the reason I mentioned this is I feel that many people are afraid to be their most authentic self. And so they go through life, you know, not living up to their potential, not experiencing health, not experiencing love or fulfillment or clarity or peace. And those are all things that we can only achieve by being our most authentic selves. Beautiful. What do you think about this left to right thing? Like this divisiveness between the, you know, you left or you're right. You have to kind of choose your, supposedly you have to choose your side left or right. And there's this kind of increasing animosity between these two kind of, you know, teams or tribes, like what, what do you, what do you make of that, that dynamic right now? It can be disheartening for me at times, especially when I see people that are considered spiritual and evolved that are taking very firm stances on one side and not open to dialogue about, you know, the lack of integrity in the position that they're taking. Um, I see good on all sides, but because I realize that we're human, I also see the imperfection, which is fine. But I believe that we need to work together as one team, not just Americans, but as humanity, because we are all part of the same species and we all share the same planet. This is our home. And that, you know, if we start to actually work together, not only can we enhance and extend our personal lives, we can also enhance and extend the life of this planet for future generations. And that's what I want to be working on as well. You know, we are wasting so much energy fighting each other, fighting over who's right, who's wrong, taking sides. You know, this is part of the reason I'm not really into sports because it brings out this competitiveness. And what I've realized is that we can't truly compete or compare ourselves to anybody else because we're all unique, right? We don't all have the same experiences, even if you're playing in a sport, you know, just because one team might win a game doesn't mean that they're actually better. It just means that perhaps they're better for that sport, you know, but it's not, it's, it doesn't make them a better person. And, and so I feel like in politics, we're kind of playing sports right now. <laughs> and it's like, no, everybody has something of value that they can bring to the conversation, that they can bring to the country, that they can bring to the world. And if we can look past our imperfections and listen to each other's ideas and give constructive criticism respectfully, then we can come up with better ideas and we can move forward. And, and our challenges can also evolve because we have these very low level challenges. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah. the triangle though, right? 
And once people have their basic needs met, then they can evolve and focus on greater challenges and create greater beauty in the world. And And I mentioned the word challenges because I realized we can't live in a world without challenges. <laughs> we will create challenges because that's, that's what we do. We like to be challenged. That's how we evolve. And so challenges aren't a bad thing, but I feel that it's time to move beyond the very basic level of challenges. And the only way we can do that is if we come together. Yeah. Yeah. What, what would you say are some like really key components of your platform that you're, is kind of different than where we are now that you would bring in uh, your administration that's different than what we have currently? A huge emphasis on personal responsibility. Um, that, you know, as I mentioned about 20 years ago, that was what got me, was just recognizing nobody wanted to take responsibility for the part that they played in what's going on. It was much easier for people to point fingers at others. And I still see this happening. Um, And just, you know, I feel like, you know, back to authenticity, something that I want to emphasize is um, something I learned from my father, which is it's nobody's business. What I do in my square foot of space, as long as I'm not bothering anybody else. And what I get from that is essentially to mind my own business. You know, just don't harm anybody, focus on myself, don't judge others, let others do what is right for them. You know, we all have a different path. We're on the same journey, but how we get from where we began to where we end or where we end, it's going to look different and that there isn't a right way or a wrong way, you know, because it's going like what's right for me might not be right for you. And what's wrong for me, you know, may not be wrong for you. So who am I to interfere in your journey? And I feel that government has been getting too involved in our journeys. And so we can't evolve. We can't self-actualize. And, um, and the personal responsibility is huge because as I've been learning about the history of our country, and I feel like the founding fathers really had in mind for the government to do very, very little. But over time, I feel like we've gotten a bit entitled and we just delegate all these things to the government. Well, I pay taxes, so it's the government's responsibility to take care of the homeless. It's the government's responsibility to take care of drug addicts and criminals. It's not mine, but it is because we are all connected. And so helping people recognize that they can make a difference and that the only way that this can be better is through personal responsibility. Um, You've just reminded me of something else that I wanna mention. I haven't talked about this in a while and it's really important. Um, I had this vision for a long time and it started with um, gun control because I know that's a hot topic. And the vision was that we're addressing the symptom or the effect of diseased people. They're not at ease versus the cause of their disease. And if we keep addressing that, what happens, let's, if, if we were to allow that to happen, right? We take away people's guns, we take away their knives, we take away their forks, we take away their cars, we, we put them in padded rooms, right? We're, that's what happens when you do not address the cause of diseased behavior. And so that's a huge part of everything that I try to do in life. And as I'm going into politics, 
It is to address causes of diseased behaviors, not the effects, because we are going to end up without any rights. And, and this is part of what I'm talking about. You know, the founding fathers didn't intend for us to delegate personal responsibility. But if we do that, that's what happens. And we're seeing this also, I feel like with COVID, you know, people are what are we doing? We're not teaching people how to be healthy. We're not teaching people how to develop resilience, how to develop you know, strong immune systems. We are sheltering people from reality. And whether we like it or not, nature's laws are immutable. If we do not adapt, we will perish as a species. It's not what I want, you know, it's just the way that it is. And so we have to learn to work with the laws of nature in all aspects of our lives and to you know, not ignore the causes of disease, whether it is literal disease or if it is just a spiritual or a mental disease, we have to address why is this happening so that we can change the way that people express themselves in the world so that they are healthy, you know, body, mind, and soul. So with COVID, you, you go to more of a, a root, kind of good at the root cause, more of a holistic approach to to um the dynamic as opposed to like mandatory lockdowns mandatory shutdowns mandatory masks mandatory you know is that is that accurate is that yeah i really believe that people should be educated on how to create and maintain health so that they can make that decision for themselves what is right and we're not that's not happening you know we're spending all this money to basically weaken people's immune systems. Um, I'm an introvert, so I actually enjoy being alone, but I know many people are extroverts. And for them also psychologically, this is a very difficult time. You know, I'm also aware that when people have fear, the brain releases toxic chemicals. And the more people are in a fear state, the more it releases those toxic chemicals, which weakens their immune system, which makes them more susceptible to being perfect hosts for COVID to flourish in. Right. So it's just we're approaching this very emotionally and not logically. You know, yes, every human life matters, but we need to make sure that we are doing something to build people up so that they are stronger, not weaker. Yeah, and I know the lockdowns have caused a really uh, uh, extreme increase in suicides and, and um, depression and anxiety and uh, child abuse and domestic abuse and poverty, huge increase yeah. in poverty and homelessness. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's one of the things that I, I don't, I don't have like many things that I feel strongly about, but I've really just seen that like, this doesn't make sense. This isn't logical. It's kind of this myopic. We're just focused on this one thing and people are being hurt in so many other ways that it's almost like, it seems like there's just an agenda to make this one way, you know, for whatever reasons, whoever's invested in that. But, but yeah, what you're saying makes total sense to me. And I'm really happy to, to hear you share that. Um, Brian, yeah. one of the things I noticed in San Francisco where I spend most of my time is how much money has been spent on printing signs, on drawing circles in the park and, you know, all these resources that we're spending to shelter people versus we could spend the money to create different signs that encourage people like how to develop healthy practices, right? It, it's just that how are we allocating our resources? And there are people who think that, you know, they're, they're doing the right thing by staying home, not going out, 
you know, not really getting fresh air, not getting exercise, not having community. Um, hugs are great for producing oxytocin. You know, these little things, you know, we need, we are herd animals. We need that. And so I think about just how we could use the resources better and just, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a shame and an insult to our species that, that this is how we're spending our tax dollars, you know, without really having any say on it. And we just have one set of experts versus having a real conversation with experts from all sides. You know, I mentioned my background in neuroscience and epigenetics. You know, those provide a different perspective perspective for us. And there is peer-reviewed research, you know, to back it up as well. And I feel that, you know, as president, that is something that I would do is to invite people from all sides to have public and respectful conversations so that, you know, you're talking about politics having sides. It's the same thing in science. We need to come together everywhere. We need to talk to each other. We need to work together. That's the only way we're going to advance. If, if everyone agrees with one person, we're not really thinking. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Do you have concerns about the um, inequality of wealth that is present in America and, in, and across the world right now? Yeah, it, it, yeah. seems to be, it seems to be increasing the inequality. Oh, yeah, especially because of the lockdowns yes. in America. Yes. We just had a huge transfer of wealth because all the big businesses pretty much stayed open. And the, you know, the entrepreneurs and small businesses were shut down because they were non-essential. Who has the right to say whether your business is non-essential? You know, again, this is supposed to be a free country. And if two consenting adults want to do business together and they understand whatever the risks may be, they should have the freedom to make that choice. Um, I think about, I don't know if you're familiar with the term 5150, um, it's basically, um, if somebody thinks that you're a danger to yourself or somebody else, you can get taken away, I think, for 72 hours or more until they think you're safe. And I always find this fascinating because it's like, there's only interference if you're an immediate threat to yourself or someone else, but not long term, right? It's okay if you, you know, put crap in your body, don't take care of yourself, and you're poisoning yourself slowly or doing it to somebody else. You know, and I, and I wonder if this has anything to do with um, financial interests, right? Like, why is it, you know, if it's your life, why does it matter if you're in an immediate danger to yourself or a long-term danger to yourself? I think we should always care, you know, but the government getting involved only if you're an immediate threat, is, it's, it's something that I find very peculiar. And, um, you know, just thinking about the powers that be and who has the money and the transfer of wealth that we've had, which has created a huge divide. Um, I grew up on welfare and food stamps and Section 8, mostly with a single mother. And I just remember how she was always afraid of making $1 too much because she would lose everything. And I think that that's ridiculous because we still have that system today where, and this is back to being authentic, a person is afraid to self-actualize. They're afraid to tap into their potential when they have a system that holds them down. One dollar does not make or break a person, right? And if the system really wanted to help lift people up, it would work with them versus saying, this is the cutoff. If you make a dollar too much, that's it, no support for you. So what happens with these people? They don't try. They're afraid to try because what little security they have, they don't believe they're capable of more oftentimes. 
So um, this is again an area of legislation that I would want to address is that we have these laws and entitlement programs that keep people down instead of building them up. You know, the welfare state, it's, you know, in San Francisco, our mayor decided um, since these lockdowns happened that she's going to be giving certain races of people, women that are pregnant a thousand dollars a month up, while they're pregnant up until a certain time of, the, of the, the baby's life. And I just thought, you know, this is not the place for government. How does this make other people feel who are not that color? You know, especially like, cause I grew up poor. I grew up with people who didn't look like me. You know, I'm being categorized as somebody who is well-to-do even though that's not who I was, you know, and it's still questionable today. I have peace and security, but um, the government should not be creating policies that um, treat certain classes of people differently, you know, whether it's based on skin color, whether it's based on how big their business is. We shouldn't be playing favorites. You know, there should be a real free market. You know, we don't have a true capitalistic society. You know, people say that, you know, we have capitalism here. No, it's, it's mixed economy because if, if we had a true capitalism, it would look very different. So I, let's go, I, I heard you mention another interview about identity politics. So you're mm -hmm. kind of touching on that here. So let's go into that um, from this recognition of the waking of consciousness that we talked about, every, everything is one, everyone's at the same essence, right? But we seem to be in this space now where people are going through some kind of a phase where people are um, wanting to differentiate these different groups and identify with certain groups. And then there's these kind of power struggles between the groups against other groups. And um, it doesn't seem to me like it's going to lead anywhere, <laughs> anywhere positive. And there's a, there's a deeper way of, of understanding uh, who we really are. As you said, do you want to speak that a little bit? Sure. So that identity politics is really something that I believe that I do my best not to get involved in. Yeah. Because I don't believe that because my physical form appears a certain way makes me more or less qualified for a certain position, right? It's my experiences, it's my inclinations, it's my insights, it's my gifts that make me more qualified for a certain position than another. And it's the same for all of us. You know, we all have something within us that if we develop, we will shine at. And so um, I feel that identity politics is very dangerous and I'm seeing that around me right now as well. And I refuse to play a part of that. You know, if I wanted to play identity politics, I could put myself in so many different boxes, but I'm not going to do that because that divides me from other people. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this, you know, there's just one life in all of us. You know, science calls it energy, theology calls it God, some people call it nature, source, the X, like the great mathematical unknown. There are so many different names for this one life, but we know that it cannot be destroyed, it cannot be created, and all that it does is perpetually transmute itself from form to form. And so when we recognize that, and I bring up science because I'm a skeptic. And I had to go down the science route to start to believe that there is just one life because I grew up with religion and the hypocrisy turned me off. So people can turn to science today and see that there's only one life. And so when you see that, you start to understand like, why, 
why do we need to divide ourselves? Yes, we're different and unique, but we're all part of the same being, like the cells of my body, you know, the organs of my body, the bones, limbs, every single piece of my body, they make the whole me. And that's what we are. We make the whole oneness, you know? And it's like, I thought about this too, back to balance, um, everything being energy. If the cells within your body are attacking each other, that is a sign of disease. And so if the cells within the oneness are attacking each other, that's a sign of disease. And so that's why, you know, learning to be healthy and how to maintain that body, mind, and soul is so vital for us to all do individually if we want the whole to be balanced and in harmony. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's, it's scientifically proven that there's no such thing as race. You know, it's scientifically, logically proven there's no such thing as race. So it's like, well, why are we still using these categories and dividing us and separating us arbitrarily? It's not even like a real, a real thing. So I'd love to see, uh, I see an enlightened politics that just does away with all of that. I want to put, obviously people can say what they want to say and speak what they want to speak, but on a political level and a legislative level, it just does away with something that's not real. Um, and we go beyond that. That's One of my mentors, uh, Dr. Bernie Siegel, he's a retired surgeon and a best-selling author. He wrote um, Love, Medicine, and Miracles and many other great books. And he says, you know, the reason that we're all different on the outside is so that we can tell each other apart, but we're all the same on the inside. So he was able to operate on us and help us all. <laughs> but I think that that's a clever way to look at it. You know, it's like if we all look the same, how would we tell each other apart, you know? <laughs> I love Bernie. Uh, he was inspiration awesome. to me on my path, and I saw him speak in person when uh, when I was younger, and kind of gave him a hug afterwards and chatted with him for a little oh. bit. Yeah, he's great. I love him. Yeah. So so um, so identity politics kind of going beyond these just all these divisions, right? It's like race or I know gender or something that you talked about. The left, the political ideologies, the left, the right. Yeah, actually, yeah, so you reminded me of something else, you know, I, I wrote something recently about being a prodigal son on my way home, you know, it's, it's another biblical story, and I look at the esoteric meaning of it, and I say, we're all prodigal sons on our way home, and I have no qualms about referring to myself as a son or a man, because I know I'm not my body, and yes, I am a woman, but I identify with all parts of the oneness because I know that there are pieces of me and pieces of you and everything. And so I feel like um, we've been trying for a while to be politically correct and that that's actually creating more division. Um, you know, I, there's lots of things that are coming to my mind. So hopefully I'm doing a good job connecting the pieces here. But, you know, I think about when you call somebody, you know, Asian American or African American, or, you know, I would be Russian, Romanian American, right? What did we just do? We just separated ourselves from each other, but we're all Americans. Why do we need to qualify anything before that, right? Um, there's something you and I kind of connected over and I am not good at pronouncing his name, but I studied um, one of his books for many years. Ardagata. Um, yes, Maharaj. Yeah. I am that. And he, I believe it's him that talks about that anything you put after the word I am separates us. 
And then, you know, I don't, is that where I picked it up? Uh, but somewhere along the way, but I love I Am That. It's a great book of transcriptions that helps me to feel more connected to the oneness. And I just mention it because it's like, if we meditate on the words I am, which you probably know, but maybe some people don't, that that can help us feel connected to everything because I am is the only thing that I can be certain of. Everything else is relative, right? If, if the bigger my perspective gets, the more I change my perspective as well. Like, you know, what I used to think I was and what I think I am today are very different things. And so I mentioned I am because again, if anything we put after that separates us and it's the same thing like being an American, anything that we put before that separates us as well. Mm -hmm. And we want to be more connected and there's nothing wrong with being unique. It's wonderful but we're all very unique. There are no two people that are identical. And so if we jump into a group and say that, you know, I am this, we limit our connections with other people. And we also limit our own, um, our own development, our own evolution. You know, so from a very young age, I remember not liking labels when people would ask me certain things about my preferences in life. And I just say, you know, I'm a fluid being, you know, I am, and now I understand it, you know, cause I'm always evolving and energy is always transmuting itself. It's just the, it's a law of life. Energy is. You mentioned political correctness and I feel like that's a concern a lot of people have right now is freedom of speech. Um, there's a lot of censorship on social media platforms that's kind of increasing, just people giving their opinions um, on different things, their takes on different things. And the other side of it is people are concerned about things that could hurt people's feelings or, you know, make people feel bad emotionally or, um, you know, be, be psychologically damaging in some way. So it's just maybe you could speak to that, of that, this kind of this tension between freedom of speech and um, concern of how one's words affect someone else. I believe that it is important to have freedom of speech. And because I understand how energy works, I believe it's really important to be careful which words I choose. And as far as sensitivity goes, you know, when you know who you are, there's nothing anybody can say to you that will offend you because you know who you are and you know that it's only a reflection of them and what they're going through. And, you know, anger, for example, is an offspring of sensitivity, unchecked sensitivity, which turns into irritation, rage, anger, hate. They're all related. So if you don't have your own sensitivities in check, you're very likely to blow up at the wrong times and harm yourself and others. So this is why it's really important to understand who we are and really own it, you know, believe it. Don't actually have faith. Do whatever you need to do to get to belief so that you cannot be offended, so that you can stay grounded. I, you know, but like I mentioned, I do my best. I am not perfect. I am a work in progress and I will keep working on myself but I do my best to speak in ways that are loving, you know, but love isn't giving people what they want. It's giving people what 
ultimately helps them evolve in consciousness too. And sometimes that requires saying no and being firm, right? So I just want to be clear about that, that being loving with somebody isn't telling them things that aren't true to feed their ego. Being loving with somebody is finding a way to be honest with them that will lift them up. Yeah, it feels for freedom. For it feels the 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 freedom to exchange ideas feels really important to kind of if we're exploring truth, if we're trying to get at you know what's the best way to do something or best way to approach something, to have a to have a society where people can speak freely their ideas, their perspectives, that feels really valuable and to feel safe to do that. And that's that. There's a concern that that's sort of being lost a bit, where people think they have to just say what the one. You know, this is the only thing I can say. I can't say anything else, even though I think something else. Um, so that that's, I think, to have that freedom to people to speak freely feels really important for the best ideas to come forth. And then the president um, sets the tone for how everyone else talks to each other, right? So if, you, if there's a president that's fighting with people all the time and calling people names, and then that kind of sets the tone for the country, um, but if you have a president that's coming from a place of love and as you said, can say no or can be firm and different things, but is doing their best to, to recognize the golden rule, each person as a reflection of themselves, then that sets the tone for how other people, it's kind of like a vibration that goes out. And I think, I feel like that's a big reason why you're running is my sense because you want to like set a different vibrational tone of, of, um, yeah, the way people can communicate with each other, which is why I kind of asked you that first question, because like a lot of this stuff doesn't need to be laws and punishment. It can just be this kind of vibrational energy, this, um, I'm trying to think of a word that's not vibration that other people might relate to, just, just one's character, one's yeah. character that, that, that emanates out to, you know, the rest of the country. Well, whatever we are exposed to the most, what kind of behaviors, people, and so forth, we naturally start to copy that behavior, you know, if we are not keeping ourselves in check. And most people aren't. Most people are just tuned into whatever, and they're not questioning it. And so they allow it to influence them versus, you know, I make a conscious effort when I am you know, watching a movie or listening to a song, if there's something that comes across my consciousness that I disagree with, I consciously disagree with it so that I don't accept it as my own. It's like, no, that's not true. Maybe for them, but that's not my truth. You know, and, and it's not necessarily um, an easy thing because you have to be alert, you know, but that also means that I filter more. You know, I don't just listen to anything or watch anything or read anything because I only want to be um, putting in positive suggestions so that that is what I exude in the world. Mm. Let me ask you this. This is something I feel like isn't really talked about much um, on a presidential level, but when I kind of vision into like where we're going, I don't claim to know hundred percent where we're going, but I do see more um, empowerment and autonomy on local levels. I'm kind of returning to people. Um, so kind of, kind of, you know, kind of less sort of top town authoritarian rule from Washington DC to the rest of the country where people kind of know in their own community, what's the best way for them where they are based on all kinds of different things that maybe someone in Washington DC doesn't know. So do you see that too as kind of a decentralization of, of things and kind of power and autonomy coming more back to the local communities? 
Yes, I, I don't want power. I want to help set people free, but I realize that freedom is a responsibility. And so that's why there's a lot of education that has to come with that. You know, whenever I first experienced real freedom in my life, it nearly destroyed me because I wasn't prepared for it because I hadn't had freedom before. There was no structure in my life. And so I, I want to help people have freedom, but I also want them to be able to handle it because you can do great things with freedom, both good and bad. And I do believe that we're ready and I do believe we're capable, but it's going to take, you know, a few steps to get there. Um, and, you know, we shouldn't have just one person in charge of everything. You know, the, and be, like we kind of talked before we started, this was I'm in Kern County right now, which used to be three different counties. And they turned it into one county for financial reasons. And these, these old three counties have very different needs. And so certain, the old two counties are not getting their needs met because of the one county that wanted them to all be the same. And so, you know, we need to really be more considerate and not do things for financial reason. We need to give people and local governments more autonomy. You know, there shouldn't, money should not be a driving force. We, you know, I want to get money out of politics. I believe it's possible. You know, um, this year I've seen how easy it is to get money out of politics. I don't know what's going to happen in this election, but I'm just getting started. So I know that you know, no matter where I, what happens next, you know, I'm, it's, I'm going to help eliminate money from politics <laughs> and bring more autonomy to the local levels. Fantastic. And how about, let's talk, touch on the environment. You know, I feel like this is one of, one of the things is like, well, everybody wants, clean, you know, almost everybody, like 99.9% want clean water, want clean air, want clean food. You know, yeah. how, where's like the environment in your platform? Sure. It was kind of related, you know, to what I mentioned with subsidies, for example, and certain legislation. Um, I don't think that, I think that we need all those things. It's not a matter of want, you know, I think about farming, for example, we kind of talked about it, but more like, how are we treating the earth, you know, the soil, the nutrients in the earth, right? Because we are what we eat. And so if we're getting food that is, is lacking nutrients, it's going to affect our overall well-being. And so we need to be more respectful towards the earth and our practices. If we get rid of certain subsidies, I believe people will change their eating habits from eating so much you know, animal protein to eating plants, you know, more because it's just more sustainable. Um, and I believe that will have a more positive effect on the environment. Um, kind of talking about, you know, Native Americans and how they took care of the land. I feel that we can learn from them. It's just helping people recognize how every decision they make affects not just everyone else, but also them. You know, like I read something about recycling recently and how we kind of got tricked into thinking that the way, this was on NPR, um, the way that we do recycling is actually helping the environment, but it's not. A lot of the stuff is just not, it's not going anywhere. It's just going to a landfill. And so, you know, this is back to, again, having good intentions, but lacking logic. We have to bring logic into how we view the environment and how we do business. Um, and we have to think about not just ourselves, but about future generations. It's a, we kind of have an instant gratification culture right now. It's all about me, 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 and today versus like, 
you know, I need to think about everybody else in the future so that others can enjoy this planet, so that there is fresh air, so that there is, you know, wholesome food, and so that there is safe, fresh water, right? These are things that we all need to survive. And if we start to approach everything we do, thinking about others and ourselves, I think that we will get there. Um, but we would have to look through a lot of legislation and figure out like, okay, why is this there? What is this really doing? And how can we make this better? You know, does this need to be completely gone or does this need to be changed? Um, you know, like with, with gas and electric, you know, is electric really the best option? Are there other options? You know, I've, I've heard that there are. And so I think that it's important to have those, those conversations without money involved. You know, most lobbyists you know, they work for big corporations. You know, they don't really care about us. They just care about their shareholders. And so we need to really wake up and change a lot of these things that we've allowed to happen. You know, we can't give breaks to these big corporations either. You know, just because they employ a lot of people doesn't mean that they're not responsible for the environment. They're not responsible for doing the right thing. You know, we can't give them tax breaks just because they employ lots of people. That's destroying our planet. And we see that many of these really wealthy people, billionaires, they don't really care about the planet because if they did, they're already in a position to make a change. You know, they don't need to run for president to make a change. They can do it from where they are already, but there's obviously not something within them currently that's propelling them to want to give back and to make things better. They just seem to only care about their bottom line. And I would love to have meetings with these people one-on-one -on -one and, and help enlighten them. <laughs> mm. Let's just let's touch on the media. So the media to me is a major problem um, because the media is kind of like our nervous system globally. It's like kind of like communicates everything to each other. Um, so the media, if, if, if we're not getting information like the kind that we're sharing here and the kind of information of what the vision and what's possible and consciousness and, you know, um, spiritual principles from awakened consciousness, then um, people are getting these other, this kind of fear, this, this getting pumped, this fear, they're getting pumped, this anxiety, they're getting pumped, um, manipulation and deception and all these kinds of things that um, make it difficult. Because my sense is like, if everybody, maybe I'm naive, but my sense is like, if everybody knew you were running for president, you would easily win. That's my sense, right? But I didn't even know you were running for president until a couple, few days ago, right? So... Is, do you have any sense of like how we address that or how we kind of shift the, the media so it's, so it's kind of giving us the information that, we, that supports us and everything that we're talking about here? Sure. We're doing it right now. I knew you were going to say that. We're, 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 we're planting seeds. <laughs> no, you're just right? sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and no, I think about, you know, I've been wanting to mention it for a little bit to tie it in. I don't know if you're familiar with the Maharishi effect. Um, it's basically, I, 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 I'm, I don't do transcendental meditation, but I'm very familiar with it. I, I do my own form, but um, they've got together a whole bunch of people to pray for peace in Washington, D.C. several years ago. And, they, you know, they meditated on it for a while in person. I, I forget if it was like a thousand people or more that came together. And violence dropped for like 30 days, right? Because everything is energy. They had an image of what they wanted. They imagined it as if it already happened. There was multiple people focused and, you know, what's the right word? Uh, 
I'm, it's, I'm drawing a blank, but there's critical mass, right? To reach critical mass, it's not, it, it grows exponentially the more people that you have focused on the same thing. So the more people that do have conversations like this and share them publicly, the more people will get together and have conversations like this and share them publicly. That's how we swing the pendulum to the other end. And that's why, you know, I, I, I'm excited to engage with people like you and to share these ideas with people, you know, to inspire others to do the same as well. You know, every single person matters and everybody can make a difference. Um, there's something else that came to my mind. Um, I recently taught a lesson in a metaphysics class on a, the, lo the laws governing the transmission and change of concepts. And one of the things that I taught in that lesson was about thought waves and how there is no form of matter that can stop a thought wave. You can stop, you know, an x-ray, you can, you know, different kinds of waves, but you can't stop a thought wave with a piece of matter. And so our thoughts, if you, like meditation is really just single focusing. If you single focus on the reality that you want to live in when you said you don't know what it looks like, well, you can imagine it, right? If you imagine the reality that you want to live in as if it's already here and you do that regularly, you will bring it about a lot quicker than if you wait for somebody else to do it. And you're very likely to get the reality you want. And if more of us gather together with the same idea and we focus on it and imagine it as if it already is. And, and it's not just that, it's in our other state, we work towards making that a reality, right? Because it's not just, you know, people talk about law of attraction. Yes, you attract whatever you think about, but you have to work towards it too. And so that's why thinking, speaking and behaving in alignment with the vision that you want is really important. You can't say you want peace and then attack somebody with your words. You've got to love them no matter yeah. what. Love the life in them. Maybe you don't love their behavior, but if you love the life in them, that will help. Yeah, that's an important point. And it feels like related to this is kind of the sense of like, don't settle. And what I mean by that is like, like, there's kind of this idea of like, well, this is just the way media is. So I'm just going to tune into it. This is just who the options they're giving me for president. So that's why I have to choose. And it's like, no, you don't, you know, yeah. if, if you don't resonate with, you know, the mainstream media, then, then to turn it off, you know, yes. be, I'm, change I'm, the channel, <laughs> change the frequency. Happier. I've been much happier <laughs> that way. Um, and you've, I find I'm actually more informed, more clear, more kind of attuned to the intelligence of what's happening that way. Um, and I think the same thing with, with, you know, voting for someone for president. It's like, there's this idea of like, well, well, I don't, I don't hear this all the time. Well, I don't like the options, but that's the options. Well, no, there's other options, you know? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> really quickly. So you reminded me of something I wanted to say a little bit ago, which is about fear in the media mm -hmm. and, the only way that the media and the people who control the media and own the media can control you is through fear. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's working for them. That's how they get people to do things that are not logical because they get them into a fear state. And so they don't know what to trust. And the irony is that we know historically that government has lied to us, that health professionals have lied to us, that media has lied to us. Yet when we are in fear, it's like we forgot. And so it's really important to understand that. And what you're doing is a great practice. You don't have to tune into that media. You can change channel. 
and tune into something else. I think that's a great point that, that we, people are controlled through fear. So get people afraid. And then once they're afraid, they're kind of in that kind of reptilian brain and they're, they're, they're they can control their emotional reactive. Yeah. Yeah. Give point. me your money, you know, yeah. do this, do that. Don't question me. You know, mm -hmm. it's all from fear and we're better than that. So much yeah. better. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share that you haven't shared yet? Mm. <laughs> I've been having a lot of thoughts come in and um, I could probably spend all day with you, but, I, <laughs> but I, I feel like I'm in a very good space. I'm just really grateful that we got to connect and have this conversation. And I feel like we talked about some very important ideas and, and just what's going on and, and how we can overcome it. And I'm just, I'm honored that I got to connect with you this way. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful to have you here as well. And everyone else had a chance to listen to what you have to share. And oh, um, yeah, there's one thing. Um, your previous comment about the choices that we have, because this is a conversation I've been having with a lot of people. And it's, you know, about voting for the, the duopoly, essentially, which is I've realized is a monopoly at this point. You know, people do have more than two choices. There were over a thousand people that registered to run for president in this election. And if people actually believed that they deserve better and had the courage to vote for whoever they thought best represented them, then we would have different leaders. We would have a different president. You know, the media does spin things to to sway people's decision and you, you know, where people feel like, well, I have to choose who I think is going to win, not who I want to win. And the challenge with that is that if you're settling, you're going to have to keep settling when you get exactly what you voted for. And so if people want to stop settling, they have to stop settling with how they vote as well. And that's, you know, a conversation I'm trying to have with more people to realize, well, if everyone knew about me and everybody actually wanted me to win and voted for me, then I would win. <laughs> it's that easy or anybody else. You know, you can create your own movement for whoever you want to support. It doesn't have to be what the mainstream media tells you is your choices. Um, and we see that with polling, you know, in 2016, a lot of people predicted someone else would win. The polls were wrong and we made history that year and we can make history again. And so people need to remember that anything is possible, but we have to have the courage to go after what we want and not settle for less because if we keep settling, we're just gonna have to keep settling. It's just, it's just common sense, you know, and it's logic. I was laughing because yeah, I know you hear people say, well, I wanna vote for someone that's gonna win. When you think about it, it's sort of funny because like, if someone's going to win, then you wouldn't, you actually be the opposite. You wouldn't need to vote for them. You'd actually want to vote for someone who you weren't sure is going to win. So you, anyway, but beyond that, the point is like vote for who's true and authentic to you and what aligns with who you are and resonates with who you are and not what you're being told, you know, you should do what you're supposed to do, which I think is the underlying message through everything you're sharing, right? It's just being true to yourself and authentic to yourself and supporting people to do that in this country. Yeah. Yes. So, so how do people connect with you? How do they get in touch with you? How do they, where, where do they find you? Sure. So I don't know if it's going to be video or audio. Yes. I have a, okay. So I have a website. It's at serene2020.com. 
and you can sign up for my email list and um, you get an email from me right away. So if you have comments or questions, you can always um, send them to me there. Um, I share the most on Facebook though, because I have a lot to say <laughs> and a lot of ideas to share. And so if you want to be inspired by me or learn more about me and what I'm up to, I definitely recommend looking me up on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. But as I mentioned, um, I like I like Facebook because I can write a lot there. Um, and then my website is just the easiest way to get in touch with me. And I have a lot of interviews on there as well as some of my values. But I feel like the best way to get to know me is watching an interview like this. Thank you so much, Serene, for being here. Thank you for having me, Brian. Thank you for being a part of this amazing community. The Brian Piergrossi Podcast is produced by Brian Piergrossi. Assistant producer, Giovanni Piergrossi. Please subscribe and leave a review or comment on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. You can find me online on Facebook or Instagram. For personal sessions with me, contact me at thebigglow.com. That's T-H-E-B-I-G-G-L-O-W.com.